In A.D. 64, Rome, the greatest city in the world at its time. In A.D. 64, Rome caught fire and burned in many ways to the ground. The Roman Empire at that time was ruled by a wicked emperor who is now infamously known by the name of Nero. When Rome burned, many believed Nero was the cause of Rome burning. But to try to defuse the situation and get the blame off of himself, Nero tried to point the blame at a new upstart group of people. One of the great historians from the period of Roman history when Nero was ruler was a man named Tacitus. Tacitus wrote what is probably the pinnacle of Roman history in a series of works called the Annals. I want you to listen to what Tacitus wrote about Nero's shifting of the blame. Look at this on the screen. It says, to get rid of the report... Nero fastened guilt and inflicted the most exquisite tortures on a class hated for their abominations called Christians. Covered with the skins of beasts, they were torn by dogs and perished, or were nailed to crosses, or were doomed to the flames and burnt to serve as nightly illumination when daylight had expired. It says in these records from 116 A.D. that Nero would take Christians, light them on fire, and use them as torches to lighten the city of Rome after dark. From this, you can imagine, Christians began to scatter. This persecution that was brought upon them caused them to scatter throughout all of the known world. And in the midst of their scattering, Christians running in many ways in fear for their lives, Simon Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, wrote a letter that we have in our Bibles called 1 Peter. And if you read the very opening of the letter called 1 Peter, Peter says, I'm writing this to those who are scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. He's writing to these Christians who from Rome in response to the persecution of Nero have been scattered all throughout the Roman Empire. And in that letter, I want you to see this verse of Scripture. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 12. Listen to what he says. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you. Now that gives that word greater significance when you understand the historical reality of what they were living through. Don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. 
two words in that verse. One is the word surprise. The other is the word strange. Both of those words come from the same root root Greek word. And it's a word that, that literally means foreigner or stranger. Simon Peter writes to them and he says, Hey, there's some difficult times that you're living in right now, but, but don't think that that should be foreign to your life as a Christian. Peter writes to them and he's reminding them what, what you and I need to be very well aware of today. As followers of Jesus, we are not immune from difficult circumstances. We're not immune from situations and circumstances in our lives that are fiery ordeals. There's a vein of Christian teaching that implies if you simply have enough faith, You can remove every challenge. If you simply have enough faith, you can remove every obstacle. If you simply have enough faith, you can remove every difficulty from your life. This teaching has devastated many believers and caused them to lose much of their faith because their, quote, miracle did not come. Simon Peter writes and he says... Don't don't think it's strange. Now listen, God does deliver His children. That's a good place to say amen. God does deliver His children. But listen to me, it just doesn't always look like what we think it's supposed to look like. About three and a half years ago, a beautiful young lady in our church, newly married, was diagnosed with a terminal illness. For three years, she fought that battle against that illness. For three years, many of us prayed and asked God for a miracle. And at the beginning of this year, she went home to be with the Lord. And some might say, well, she didn't get her miracle. Listen to me. If you could talk to her right now, that's not what she'd say. It may not have looked like what we thought it ought to look like. But let me tell you something. She's been delivered. As Christians, we are not immune. Sometimes in our health, sometimes in our finances, sometimes in our family, sometimes in our relationships, sometimes in our careers, sometimes in our schoolwork, challenges, difficulties, obstacles will come. There will be times when life gets tough. Anybody identify with that in the room today? There's some times when life's going to get tough. There's some times when it doesn't look the way we think it ought to look. This month we are studying... A man in the Old Testament named Daniel. If you have your Bible, I want you to open to Daniel chapter 3. Last weekend, Pastor Travis opened and gave you the headline of Daniel's life, Faith in Difficult Times. I mean, every story you read about Daniel 
in the book of Daniel, Daniel's in the midst of something gone wrong. Something bad, something that he didn't order, something that didn't look like it belonged to him. And I'm going to tell you, when you study the, the, the Bible, one of the most encouraging things I find in studying the Bible is just about every person you study in the Bible is messed up, right? I mean, and when you read some of the stuff some of the people in the Bible did, you start thinking, hey, I'm not that bad a guy, right? I mean, some of these people that God used in an unbelievable way had some really black marks in their life, but... When you read the book of Daniel, it's like Daniel never had an off day. If anybody had enough faith to never have bad situations in their life, I'm going to tell you, you'd be hard-pressed to find a more pure example of faith in the Bible than Daniel. And yet in chapter after chapter after chapter, Daniel's in the midst of this problem and that problem and this bad situation and this tough circumstance. Faith in difficult times. When we studied last weekend, we looked at Daniel chapter 1 and you were introduced to Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Anybody name their kids Shadrach, Meshach, or Abednego? We don't use those names a lot, but they're pretty popular, weird names, right? I mean, everybody knows Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And you can't say just one of them. You have to say all three of them together, right? It's like leaving the last note off of a key. You can't. you got to play the whole thing. This weekend, we're going to dig a little deeper into the lives of Daniel's friends. And you need to understand when you read this about Daniel's friends, they'd been heavily influenced by Daniel. Daniel chapter 3, I want to read for you one of the most famous stories in the Bible. And I know it's a lot of scripture that I'm about to read, but as we read this again this week in the teaching team, we just realized there is power in reading the Word of God. So I'm going to read you this story, all right? It'll be on the screen. You can follow along or you can just listen. Daniel chapter 3, verse 1. Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold, the height of which was 60 cubits, and its width 6 cubits, and he set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Now that means it was 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide. It's a pretty big deal, right? Brian would say it's huge. Verse 2, then Nebuchadnezzar, the king, sent word to assemble the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the rulers of the province to come to the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar, the king, had set up. So he's throwing this big party to unveil this big idol that he's built. He's going to show everybody. Verse 3, then the satraps, the prefects, the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the judges, the magistrates, and all the rulers of the provinces were assembled for the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar, the king, had set up, right? So they did what he said. He set it up. Called them all, they all came back together, and here they are. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then the herald proclaimed loudly, To you the command is given, O peoples, nations, and men of every language, that at the moment you hear the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, bagpipe, and all kinds of music, when you hear the band begin to play, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. But whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into the midst of a blazing, a furnace of blazing fire. Therefore, 
At that time when all the peoples heard the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, bagpipe, and all kinds of music, all the peoples, nations, men of every language fell down and worshipped. I guess so, right? (laughs) He didn't say, I encourage you to do this. He said, if you don't, we're going to burn you to death. So the music plays. Guess what they do? All over. For this reason, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and brought charges against the Jews. They responded and said to Nebuchadnezzar the king, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, and bagpipe, and all kinds of music is to fall down and worship the golden image. They said, King, here's what you said. Verse 12, but there are certain Jews. You can hear the hypocrisy in there. Whom you have appointed over the administration of the province of Babylon Namely, here they are, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego These men, O king, have disregarded you They do not serve your gods or worship the image that you've set up Then Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and anger Gave orders to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego Then these men were brought before the king And Nebuchadnezzar responded to them and said Is it true? you got to be kidding Guys, didn't you hear what the herald said? true that you've not served my gods or worshipped the image that I've set up? Now, if you are ready, Nebuchadnezzar says, you must not have heard it right. I'm going to give you one more shot. (laughs) If you're ready at the moment when you hear the sound of the horn, flute, lyre, trigon, psaltery, and bagpipe, and all kinds of music, to fall down and worship the image that I've made very well. But if you do not, you will immediately be cast into the midst of a furnace of blazing fire. And what God is there who can deliver you out of my hands? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. You know what they said? Uh, King, we don't even have to discuss this. (laughs) Verse 17. If it be so, our God whom we serve is. What's the next word? That's a good word. Amen. Our God is able to deliver us from the furnace of blazing fire. And he will deliver us out of your hand, O King. Verse 18. But even, but even if he does not, we all like the faith of verse 17. Not sure about 18. But even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image that you've set up. Well, there's no ambiguity in that, is there? Then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with wrath, and his facial expression was altered towards Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. <laughs> That's just funny, isn't it? His facial expression was altered. <laughs> what? They needed like a, one of those little red-faced emoticons right there, right? Just, he's all angry. 
He answered by giving orders to heat the furnace seven times hotter than it's usually heated. Then these men were tied up in their trousers, coats, caps, and other clothes and cast into the midst of the flame furnace of blazing fire. And for this reason, because the king's command was urgent and the furnace had been made extremely hot, the flame of the fire slew the men who carried up Shadrach, Meshach. Did you hear what that means? He, 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 he picked some of his valiant warriors to go throw these guys in and the furnace was so hot when they threw them in, they burned to death. Verse 24, then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astounded and stood up in haste and he said to his officials, whoa, 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 guys. I know that's not in there, but that's what he said. (laughs) Was it not three men that we cast bound into the midst of the fire? And they replied to the king, certainly, O king. He said, look, I see four men. Loosed and walking about in the midst of the fire without harm. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. And Nebuchadnezzar the king came near to the door of the furnace of blazing fire. Apparently not too near though, right? And he said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, come out. You servants of the most high God. And come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out of the midst of the fire. And then the satraps, the prefects, and all those accusers saw. I love that word. They saw. They saw in regard to these men that the fire had no effect on their bodies. That these men, nor was the hair of their head singed, nor were their trousers damaged, nor had they the smell of fire even upon them. You know what that means? They didn't even smell like smoke. Verse 28, Nebuchadnezzar responded and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who has sent his angel to deliver his servants whom put their trust in him, violating the king's commands and yielded up their bodies so as not to serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore I make a decree that any people, nation, or tongue that speaks anything offensive of the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb. He'd given up on the old furnace idea. He's moving on to something else. And their houses reduced to a rubbish heap. Inasmuch as there is no other God who is able to deliver in this way. Then the king calls Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to prosper in the province of Babylon. Wow. I mean, you don't even have to preach after that, right? I mean, it's just like, amen, let's go home. But I'm going to, all right? It's been five weeks. I'm going to. I want to share with you some important truths we learn from these young men when life gets tough. And I'm going to get through as much of it as I can, all right? Here's the first one. When life gets tough, it's important not to be alone. 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are mentioned 14 times in the Bible, all 14 of them in the book of Daniel, and they are never mentioned without each other. Two of the times they're mentioned, Daniel is included in their little small group. Always together. And these guys were not just together. They were doing life together. They, they knew each other's heart. Let me tell you how I know that. Look back at verse 16. It says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king. You know that little part I read about our God is able and even if he does not? It says they said it together. Now, I don't know if one of them was the spokesman for the group and represented them. Or they all three in unison just knew, so knew each other's heart that they just all said the same thing. But here's what we learned from that. These guys were so intertwined. Their relationship was so deep. Their connection was so real. One of them could finish the other one's sentence. They knew where they stood. They didn't even have to have a conversation about it. They were walking together in unity. They were in a tough situation. But they weren't alone. Listen, God didn't create us to live life alone. I love the way Rick Warren said it in his book, The Purpose Driven Life. He said, we are created for community, fashioned for fellowship, and formed for a family. And none of us can fulfill God's purposes by ourselves. When life gets tough, it's important not to be alone. At Hope, we talk all the time about small groups. And we, we tell you, if you're, not a, if you're not in a small group at Hope, you're really not at Hope. Why do we do that? Because it's in small groups that we're able to connect and do life together and live in community and know one another's heart. Listen, we don't do small groups because it's a good program for us to have as a church. Here's what we know. Life's going to get tough. And when life gets tough, if you've isolated yourself and you're alone, you ever watch the Discovery Channel? What happens to the gazelle who's not with the herd? It's important not to be alone when the lion approaches. The Word of God says we have an enemy who prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. You get off out there by yourself. When life gets tough, it's important not to be alone. We're a family before we're anything else as a church. But if you choose to isolate yourself, listen, if all you do is show up here on a weekend event and you don't get connected and do life with somebody, you're living alone when tragedy comes. And listen to me, don't be surprised, it's coming. Somebody said you're either heading out of a storm, you're heading into the storm, or you're in the middle of a storm, right? It's coming. Don't be caught alone. Listen to the way Solomon wrote about it in Ecclesiastes. Look at this on the screen. He said, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. For if either of them falls, the one will lift up his companion. But woe to the one who, when he falls, there's not another to lift him. When life gets tough, it's important not to be alone. Number two, when life gets tough, it's important to know the truth about God. 
One of the greatest declarations of faith in all of the Bible is Daniel chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. I mean, it's just, it's that moment in the movie where you just go, yes, our God is able, but even if he does not, the Bible teaches us faith comes by what? Hearing and hearing by the word of God. These men knew some things to be true about God. And when life gets tough, you need to know truth about God. Because let me tell you something. When life gets tough, often that's all you have to hang on to. Now I'm going to quickly tell you three things they knew about God. Number one, they knew the promises God had made. I love the way Nebuchadnezzar comes to him and says, Now, guys, you must not have heard me well. I'm going to repeat this one more time. And if you're ready, then we'll just end all of this. You can bow down. We can all go home. So he spills it all out there for them again. And they respond to him and say, "Uh, King, we don't even need to talk about this. There's not a conversation that we need to have, King. We already know our decision. How were they able to have such confidence? Let me tell you how. About 200 years before the moment we just read, before the nation of Israel was even taken into captivity in Babylon, God had spoken through his prophet Isaiah and he had given his people some promises that would carry them through their captivity. Let me show you one of them. Look at Isaiah chapter 43 verse 1. Now listen, you got to remember, this promise was given 200 years before what we just read in Daniel chapter 3. Listen what it says. But now thus says the Lord your creator, O Jacob, and he who forms you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. Hear the the intimacy of this. I've redeemed you. I've saved you. I've called you by name. Then listen to what he says. You are mine. Listen to me. Today, if you are a child of God, he has redeemed you. He knows you by name, and you belong to him. Now, listen to what he says. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be scorched, nor will the flame burn you. Why? For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. As Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego stood looking at that fire, what was ringing in their ears was the promise of God. You will not be burned. They clung to the promise of God. If you could get a pastor to be real honest with you, every pastor would tell you that just about every Monday, We're ready to quit. When God calls you into ministry, you're overwhelmed with the inadequacy because you know you don't have anything in you other than Christ in you. You bring nothing of value. You know better than anybody. You know what you struggle with. I know the battles I have and the temptations that I fight and the flesh that I have to deal with in my life on a moment-by-moment basis. And 
then you get exposed to what everybody else is dealing with and everybody looks to you and the discouragement and the overwhelming sense of failure at times pastors want to quit I'll be honest with you I've, I've wanted to quit a thousand times in the last week and a half <laughs> you just you just go through seasons where you want to quit as an 18 year old young man I was sitting in a church service like this one morning and pastor was preaching out of the book of Psalms but he flipped over and he read these verses in Jeremiah chapter 1 and after he read these verses I knew God had called me to preach it says now the word of the Lord came to me saying before I formed you in the womb I knew you before you were born I consecrated you I've appointed you a prophet to the nations then I said alas Lord God I'm 18 years old I don't know how to speak. I'm a youth. The Lord said to me, do not say I'm a youth. Because everywhere I send you, even Las Vegas, you shall go. And all that I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. Then the Lord stretched out his hand and he touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, behold, I put my words in your mouth. See, I've appointed you this day over the nations and over the kingdoms to pluck up and to break down, to destroy and to overthrow, to build and to plant. You know what I do on those days when I'm ready to quit? I go back to Jeremiah and I read the promise of God. When the waves are crashing, the promises of God are the anchor that keep you stable. When the winds around you are blowing, the promises of God are the rock that you stand on. When everything around us is shaking, when everything appears to be dark, when my hope is all but lost, the promises of God are the hope that we cling to. But let me tell you something. If I didn't have the promises of God, I don't know where I'd go. I don't know where I'd turn. I don't know what decisions I would make. So let me ask you a question. Do you know the promises of God? Let me give you a life application. I want you to read this out loud with me off the screen. One, two, three. When life gets tough, you can't hang on to promises you don't know. This book is full of God's promises for you. It's full of God's promises. But listen, you can't hang on to promises you don't know. There's a treasure chest here. Oh, you may not need him today. You do, but you don't think you do. You may think you don't need him today. Listen, but that day's coming. So let me tell you what today. Today is a day to build the foundation of the promises of God so that when the opportunity comes up, you can say, listen, King, we don't even have to talk about this. I know what my God has already spoken to me and come hell or high water, I am hanging on to the promises of God. These men knew what God had promised.
Let me tell you what else they knew about God. They knew the power God possessed. That little phrase, our God is able. It's one thing to know God's promises. It's something else to know he has the power to keep them. I'm going to say that again. It's one thing to know his promises. It's something else to know he has the power to keep them. Our God is able. Listen to me. Some of you today are in the middle of a tough situation. And here's the word of God for you today. Your God is able. Maybe you've lost your job. And you are crushed and worried. Listen to me. Our God is able. Maybe you have been diagnosed with some serious health complication. Listen to me. Our God is able. Maybe you are single and you long so much to be married and you're seeking God. Listen to me. Our God is able. No matter where you are, no matter what situation you're facing, our God is able. I'm reading a book right now by a man named Brennan Manning. It's called The Ragamuffin Gospel. It's a great little book. I'm really enjoying it. Look at this quote about the ability of God on the screen out of that book. I read it this week. It said, The earth's weight has been estimated at six sextillion tons. That's a six with 21 zeros. Yet it is perfectly balanced and turns easily on its axis. It revolves daily at the rate of more than 1,000 miles per hour or 25,000 miles each day. This adds up to 9 million miles a year that we're rotating. You realize right now as we're sitting here, we are spinning at a thousand miles per hour. And you think the ride at Disneyland's going to make you sick. <laughs> Considering the tremendous weight of six sextillion tons rolling at this fantastic speed around an invisible axis held in place by unseen bands of gravitation. The words of Job 26.7 take on unparalleled significance. He poised the earth on nothingness. Let me give you a life application. I want you to read it off the screen with me. There is nothing too big for God. I know it seems big. There's nothing too big for our God. Third thing they knew about God. They knew the plan God had. They knew the promises that he made. They knew the power that he possessed. But they also knew the plan that he had. That's why they were able in verse 16 to say, but even if he does not. I mean, that's hard for us to even wrap our minds around. I mean, I understand the verse 16 and 17. Our our God is able. He's going to deliver us. But even if he doesn't? You see, they knew that God's plan was bigger than them. And they knew that God's plan was bigger than just this life. You see, the reason we get so upset in the midst of difficulty is because we're looking from a short-term, limited perspective called life on earth. Life on earth is this little bitty dot. I mean, 
think of 75, 80 years, 90 years in comparison to eternity. Millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of years. And see, these guys knew God had a plan that was bigger than this life. How'd they know that? Because, because several centuries earlier, God had given them an example in a man named Job. And Job said, though he slay me, I will hope in him. How was Job able to say that? Well, look what it says in Job 19.25. Here's why. Job said, as for me, I know that my Redeemer lives, and at the last he will take his stand on the earth. And even after my skin is destroyed... You hear what Job said? Even after I'm dead and gone, yet from my flesh I shall see God. Job knew this life wasn't all there is. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego rested in that same promise. Let me give you the life application here. I want you to read it with me off the screen. Although I may not see it now, God's plan is better than my plan. When life gets tough, you don't need to be alone. When life gets tough, you need to know the truth about God. Let me give you a third this morning. When life gets tough, it's important to be aware of the presence of Jesus. I love the way the text tells us. The king stood up in haste and he called that little group of satraps and governors and prefects and all those people together and he said, uh, guys, remind me, how many people did we put in there? Three! He said, look! I see four. And the fourth is like a son of the gods. Let me tell you something. It wasn't a son of a god. It was the Son of the God. Let me tell you what this is. This is an Old Testament appearance of the person of Jesus Christ. Here they were in the fire, walking around, talking to Jesus. I don't know about you, but as I look back over my life, I tend to have experienced the presence of Jesus way more in the valley than on the mountaintop. Jesus has promised never to leave us, never forsake us. Pastor, how do you know that was Jesus there in the fire? Let me, let me, let me show you how I know. Because he's still in there. What do you mean? Three went in. Four were in. How many came out? Three. Where's Jesus? Turn to Revelation chapter 1. Some of you are going to be glad you came just for this. <laughs> Revelation chapter 1. Now, now, you know what happened in Revelation, right? God allowed John the disciple. He opened his eyes and let him see into heaven, right? 
Look what it says about Jesus. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the middle of the lampstands I saw one like a son of man, clothed in a robe, reaching to the feet, and girded across his chest with a golden sash. His head and his hair were white like wool, like snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. Now listen to verse 15. His feet were like burnished bronze when it has been made to glow in a what? Furnace. And his voice was like the sound of many waters. Where's Jesus? John said, man, when I saw him, his feet are still on fire. Because he's still... Let me tell you what that means. Here's, Here's the truth for you today. If you are in the fire... Jesus is there with you. He's there with you. Be aware of the presence of Jesus. I want to I read you something. Before I read it, I want to tell you what it is. We started this church. God put together a team of three pastors. We came here together to plant hope. One of those families was a family by the name of Mike and Jennifer Lawrence. Some of you remember Mike and Jennifer. They left us about three and a half, four years ago to go back and pastor a church in Tennessee. But great family with us for the first 10 years and will always be indebted to Mike and Jennifer for their involvement here. In our third year as a church in 2003, Mike and Jennifer experienced an unbelievable tragedy. They had gotten pregnant with what was to be their third child and we were all excited. We were a young, new church, only a couple hundred people at the time. Everybody knew everybody. So when somebody like Mike and Jennifer, when they got pregnant, it's like the whole church was pregnant. We were all fired up and excited. and They'd been praying, and God had blessed them. And went all the way to 36 weeks into pregnancy. And I mean, the doctor was saying, you could deliver any day. And 36 weeks, they called me over to the hospital. And I'll never forget walking in that little room as Mike and Jennifer had lost that little baby boy, Adam Foster Lauren. And walking into the room with them and being with them and then hearing them tell me the story of what had happened. And at 36 weeks, you know what had to happen next. She actually had to go and fully deliver this little baby that had already passed away. And the morning before she went in to deliver, Jennifer wrote something in her journal that she's given me the permission to share as God leads. And I want to read it to you because it's the epitome of somebody who is aware of the presence of Jesus in the midst of the fire. Listen to what she says. Here I am at the strangest, most unreal day that I will probably ever have in my entire life. I'm going into the hospital this morning to deliver Adam Foster Lauren. He will not be coming home with me. The Lord brought Adam home to be with him earlier this week. At 36 weeks along, our little boy couldn't go anymore. I pray that he had an awareness of how much I loved and wanted him. He was a precious angel and now sings with the angels. There was no trauma, no pain, no panic. Just a gradual going to sleep and then stillness. He truly did go from the sound of my womb to the sound of praises to his creator in the twinkling of an eye. No lullaby could be sweeter. No one has a more precious heart for children than God the Father. Adam was ushered into God's presence and will know nothing but joy and celebration. No pain, no tears. My little baby will never cry. He will never be scared or have nightmares. My heart breaks for the things of his life I'll never see. His first tooth 
crawling, walking, singing with his brothers, learning to play ball, loving peanut butter and jelly, all those things that I feel like I will miss. But I didn't miss a single day of the life that God had ordained for Adam. God knew exactly how long we'd have him, and I felt every moment, every kick, and every roll, every hiccup. He knew my voice, his daddy's voice, and probably his brother's. He was hugged and held every day since his conception. Even though his body remained with me for several days, the spirit of what made him uniquely Adam was already with the spirit and life giver. Today I will see the body he would have had. I will see what his nose looked like and what color hair he had. God made him unique like no one else, but I will not be seeing Adam today. The truer part of him is already with the Father. Help me to keep your perspective on this delivery today, Father. You have already delivered Adam. This is just a physical birth and death that just happened to occur at the same time. But on your timetable, our life spans no more than a twinkling of an eye anyway. Thank you that I can mourn with hope. Thank you for being present, real, and ever peaceful in my life. You are my king, my protector, the dear ever-present father to all my children. What could be more perfect? Signed, Jennifer, Lauren. Listen, when life gets tough, you need to be aware of the presence of Jesus. Last truth, and I'm finished. When life gets tough, you need to remember others are watching. Sometimes it's those who know God. Listen, there's some of you in our fellowship today, you're walking through some very difficult times. And I want you to hear me. If you're in our fellowship and you're walking through a difficult time, I want you to hear me right now. We're watching you. And your faith is an inspiration to us. You are encouraging us. We read about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, but let me tell you something. We see it in you. We see you say, even if he does not. You are an encouragement. Your test is a testimony. The mess is becoming a message for God to use for his glory. Be encouraged today. You are encouraging us. Sometimes it's those who know God. Sometimes it's those who don't know God at all. As was the case with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Here's this old wicked king who at the beginning of the story said, What God? What God? And at the end of the story said, Oh, that that God. The world is watching. Your neighbors, your co-workers, your family, your friends, your classmates and let me tell you what they want to know tell me about this Jesus when it gets tough I can handle good stuff I want to see what it means to you when it's tough when life gets tough it's important not to be alone when life gets tough it's important to know the truth about God 
when life gets tough, it's important to be aware of the presence of Jesus. When life gets tough, it's important to remember that others are watching. We will all face tough times. But we, like Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel, can live by faith even in difficult.